podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We're on. And today's guest, we've got Stephen Smith. First of all, brother, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much, mate. Glad um, to be here. Listen, I read your book, The Boy in the Cellar. It's a um, heartbreaking read, very powerful for a boy who was kept in a cellar by his mum and dad for 13 years. Went to a psychiatric, is it psychiatric? Yeah. Ward as well. Yeah. In there for a year, over a year. Aston Hall. Yeah, yeah. Aston Hall. And then after that, you end up involved with priests. So you were abused from the first 17, 17 years of your life. Years, yeah. was, um, was very grim and the fact that you've wrote this book and telling your story is unbelievable and very powerful so congratulations thank um, you how have you been great great it's been, it's been um weird but it's been an adventure yeah yeah a whirlwind yeah yeah this last year and a half you wouldn't believe how crazy it's been yeah. but hey oh i've done it so here we are i'm sat talking to you now <laughs> yeah. who'd have thought that lucky <laughs> bastards <laughs> <laughs> so i always go back to the start with my guest stephen yeah. Um, how it all began then when you get kept in the cellar for 13 years do you remember your first memory not really first memories it's like it's. It, I tell you what it's like it's like getting this book knowing it's about me but there's great pages missing and then you remember a bit of it you remember a page and then there's like 10 pages missing and then there's another page and then there's a couple of pages missing then there's another page it's like snippets of memory rather than anything up until when i got to about maybe seven years old then it starts to get a bit better what was your first memory then at yeah. seven first memory at seven was when i went to the hospital to have this arm repaired because my dad had broken it up until then there's, there's bits of memories and stuff like from him calling, telling him it was going to release the dog and, and, and being beaten up all the time. But, you see, I, I say to you now, being beaten up, but back there, to me, to me, it actually seemed normal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. For you, whatever happened to you when you were a kid was normal. And for everybody else, it, whatever happens to you when you were a kid, until you start to realise things aren't actually the way they are, you think it's normal. And then, then all of a sudden, this thing clicks into your brain that says, well, actually, this isn't normal. Mm-hmm. But there's a, it takes a long while for you, for you to realise that what is normal to you isn't normal to everybody else. Yeah. So in the book, your dad broke your arm. I'll not give too much of the book away. But oh, he, broke, he, yeah. he broke a lot of yeah. fractures of my skull and did all sorts of stuff. But that was the first time you'd been out the house? No, no, I'd been out. I'd, I'd been, when I was um, one, I'd had tuberculosis and I'd been in hospital for a year, but obviously I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. When I was two, it fractured my skull with a hammer, and I was in hospital with a fractured skull for however long. But obviously, I don't remember that. And there's there's all sorts of other stuff that we found in my medical records since that I don't remember, even though it says in my records I was in hospital for X amount of time with this bone broken and that bone broken. I don't remember it. So it's not until later on that I start that I remember stuff like in solid lumps. Yeah, because I think the first thing you went to the hospital at seven, the one you can remember you, when you started seeing trees and stuff, you were That's, yeah. you were yeah. mesmerised. Yeah, someone told me name. Yeah, you never knew your name either. No. Yeah, well, he used to, he, he just used to say when he came mm-hmm. in, because he used to come down the cellar, 
and he'd, he'd bring me books that I had to copy, writing. I had to sit and copy writing stuff out for hours on end, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And he just used to come down and call me. I was just, he just used to call me the dog. Yeah. And he'd lock, lock me in the outside toilet down the yard and stuff and say he was releasing the dog and stuff like that. Just mental torture as well yeah, as physical. Yeah, yeah. What was your dad like then? It was did, that ever, did anyone ever come over to the house, or was it just you, Not that your I can mom remember. and dad? No, I can't even remember my mother. I, I, she disappeared when I was about ten years old, and I couldn't tell you what she looked like now. Did you ever get answers why no, they kept you in the cell? No one knows. No one understands why. I've had loads of people offer me up all sorts of theories, and some people say it's because he was. Religious, I don't know. Some people say it was because him and my mother weren't married when I was born. But again, I don't know. I literally don't know because they're long dead. Uh-huh. You know, so, and there's no one can make any head and tails out of it. And I've had loads of people when I was younger, social workers and psychiatrists and doctors, and they all try and come up with reasonable explanations. But at the end of the day, no one knows. Yeah. And, and I'll never know. Because when you were in hospital as well, Stephen, the doctor asked you what happened and you were so yeah. close to telling them yeah. what happened, but you changed your story. Yeah. Was that with fear? Yeah, because yeah, I knew what had happened to me when he got me back home. Yeah. yeah. So just beating after beating every yeah, day? Yeah, 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 yeah. Every day. Was there food? Did you have much food? No, not a lot. No. And that's why when it goes on into the book about me escaping from the cellar during the day, when they were at work, I used to sneak out and I found... Because it was like a latch on the door, and me being a clever little sod, I'd, I'd got a pencil and I could push the pencil through and lift the latch from the other side so the door would open. And I used to sneak out and get into the pantry because they didn't have fridges back then. It was just a pantry with like stone shelves in it, and food was kept in there. So I just used to sneak in there and help myself. Yeah. So when you were 13, you eventually people came and got you yeah. to take you away from the house. How yeah. did they know? That you were there, how did they? No idea. No idea. No, no, idea. no one no. has told me. No one's. Let, no one's explained anything. They just turned up one day, two social workers and a copper, and they took me out and they put me in a blue Ford Anglia, and that was it. Then I was taken off to a place called Ashley House. Were you relieved then, thinking I'm free, or, oh, or did you not quite no, understand? No, I was. I, I think I was in like shock for the first week. Maybe not the first week, the first few days when I got to Ashley House and I was surrounded by loads of other kids at Ashley House. And it took me a while to get used to that idea that I was in there. And then Milner turned up with another psychiatrist called Ratcliffe. He interviewed me for one for a better word. I'd be sitting, because by then I could draw really well, because that's all I got in my cellar was my drawings that I could do. And Milner turned up with a chap called Ratcliffe and a couple of days, well, a week or so later, I was taken off to be one of Mr Milner's kids at Aston Hall Mental Hospital. So I went from the fire into the frying pan. Yeah, and that's, again, you're thinking, am I free, am I going to get help? Yeah. Not realising yeah. this place, Aston House, was drugging news. Using the experiment. Aston Hall was was run by a chap called Milner, Kenneth Milner, who at the time, I mean, I didn't know this at the time, I've only found this out many years later, he was used to do a thing called narcoanalysis on you, and you were 
taken upstairs into a little side room. You were fastened, tied up naked on the, on a mattress on the floor. He'd come in, get an injection in the arm, wait a few minutes, then put a mask over your face, and it had like gauze in it, and he'd drip ether onto your face. And basically, it was like you were one on a really good acid trip, you know, it was, you were proper stoned. And he'd talk to you, ask you questions, but you didn't know whether you were coming or going, you know, you were, you were absolutely shit-faced, stoned out of your mind. This is, this is what Sergio Hammer told us to you. I didn't know that then. And then sometimes I'd wake up and I'd, be, I'd have my knees tied together and my wrists tied together and I'd be covered in marks all over my legs and my backside where he'd obviously been belting me because with my dad, I was an expert on the marks that belts leave and I could, you know, white line down the middle, ready, the side, blah, blah, you know, all that shit. So whatever he was doing involved emitting me while I was unconscious in this stone state. And I was there for a year and four months. And they were drugging the kids there? Yeah, all of us, yeah, yeah. You using were, them. Some kids even went missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah lo loads of kids went missing. There yeah. Were loads of kids. There were tales that, obviously, these places, kids tell each other tales when, when you knew there, especially. Mm. And one of the tales was that Milner had made, because the River Trent flowed through the grounds, and Milner had told these kids, under the influence of his drugs, to go and walk into the river and drown themselves, and they had. And it was, I mean, at the time, it was a scary tale, but he didn't know whether it was true or not. And it's only since all this stuff about Milner came to light, and I've seen the records and everything, mm -hmm. that I found out that it was perfectly bloody true. Yeah. So this Milner ran Aston Hall yeah. for 30 years. Yeah. Uh, so many people came forward as well and told yeah. their story, but yeah. he would use it as the psychotic yeah. I'm not right in the head yeah. and we get away with it. That's it, yeah. But yeah. he's also had connections with Jimmy Savile. Yeah. And Ashton Hall. Uh, that's the... Well, this... I, mean, I, I don't know how true all that is, but I've been told that Jimmy Savile was one of the people that had dealings with the place. There were loads of other folk used to turn up. You didn't know who they were. You know, it was much like St. Williams later on. Folks turned up in suits, wandered around and, and boggered off. But in the meantime, Milner got away with doing whatever he wanted to do with whoever he wanted to do it to. Yeah, kids as young as 12. 12, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah there were little kids there. You speak about being friends with a spider. That's a misella, yeah. Was that, how did, did that get you through, do you think, to still being here just now? Yeah, yeah. The spider? Yeah, because I, all I got in the cellar was me and my imagination. Mm -hmm. And it's the fact that I, I paint a lot now and, and all the rest of it. But I've always been, had this artistic thing. Creative. And one of the shrinks that I saw a few years back said that it was because I got this really creative mind that I managed to invent a world for me to go into. And the saving grace for everything that happened to me was the fact I've got this, according to the shrinks, I've got a thing called disassociative disorder, which means that no matter what happens to me, I can turn it off, you know. I, I, once this thing kicks in, I can shut down any sense of responsibility or, or anything, just get on and do the thing in front of me and get it out of the way. So that's to, to kind of take you away from the reality, yeah. the pain and misery you're yeah. going through just to take you to a different place and yeah. tell yourself that 
you're okay or yeah. things are going to be better. Yeah. Honestly, Stephen, your, your story, Stephen sitting here with the strength you've got is unbelievable and I, I take my hat off to you, brother. It's inspirational and, and it's, it may be crazy for people to understand, but for you speaking out, there's going to help so many other people. Well, this is the thing, especially especially blokes I've found. I, w- I want more blokes to come forward because if they can see someone that's like me coming forward and saying, look, this shit happened to me, and I was only a kid, I couldn't do anything about it, then they can come forward and say, well, I'm the same as you. Mm-hmm. I was only a kid and I couldn't do anything about it. You speak about one of the wards in Ashton Hall. Is it Elm? Ward? Elm, Elm, yeah. Elm, where the screams and people... Yeah. What was that ward like? It was exactly the same as Beach, the one I was in, except on the outside of it. Imagine a tennis court size area with a tennis court wire mesh fence all the way around it and a tennis court wire mesh roof over the top of it and out there they'd be all day long 24 hours a day all you could hear from Elm was met because it was all grown men by then they were all outside screaming non-stop they'd be sat there wanking non-stop some of them would be there naked wandering around some in straight jackets some of them fastened into the really big eye back chairs that they used to have Screaming, you know, it was like a, a vision of bedlam. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was as scary as anything you could possibly imagine for for young lads to be faced with that. And if you didn't toe the line in beach, then the staff would say, right, well, carry on misbehaving. You're going to end up in there with them. Yeah, because one of your stories, you were fighting. Well, somebody was yeah. trying to bully you. Yeah, but you've been through that much shit anyway. Yeah, getting hurt well, was did, nothing. It just, yeah. it just bounced off me. Yeah, so you just you cracked up and, and yeah. gave him for yeah. what? But you were scared to get put in that. Yeah, Elm is it Elm? Yeah. Elm, fucking Elm Street Elm. at night. We're on Elm That's Street. It, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you were in there just for over one year. Did anybody yeah. ever come in and one year, four months? Let investigate or try and look Social around. Social workers had turned up. I think in all the length of the time I was there, social workers turned up three times to see me and they'd stay for about half an hour, then fuck off. Did they ever ask you, is there anything going on? They, oh, they'd ask you all sorts about what it was like and if you liked it, and it didn't matter what you told them because whatever it was you told them, they weren't going to take any notice. They just came, filled out the form, say they'd been and fucked off. Do you think they were involved also? I'm, certain, I'm sure they knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. So that didn't just end from a year there, from being in the cellar for 13 years and then Aston Hall getting abused. Then you went to, what was the name of St. the? St. Williams. St. Williams. St. Williams School Market Week in Yorkshire. And that was with the priests. Yeah. And then they were abusing you and then yeah. renting you out as well to paedophile rings. Yeah. And you called that from the frying pan to... Yeah. I started in the fire, went to the, the frying pan and then back into the fire. Right, into <laughs> the pit of hell. Yeah. That is the pit of hell. Yeah. Um, Again, mate, for you to still be here and tell your stories, I'm, I'm speechless. No, there's loads of lads you know there I mean? that weren't, because as the so- lawyers have told me, Mrs. They used to come round to our boat to take statements and stuff. What back at the house then before we built the boat, and they tell us tales of lads that were in St Williams, that were in some of the worst prisons in England and still are. Some of them had, be- had become murderers. Some of them they couldn't find. They don't know what they, they died, gone off somewhere and died, and never been found yet. And there's all sorts of shit happened from the St Williams days. And that priest, is, he's Carriger. still alive. He's in prison just now. He's in prison. He's he's yeah. doing arse end of thirty years for 
what he did. Close to, I think, over 100 people came forward. And uh, yeah, yeah, so there's, there's hundreds of us came yeah. forward. So what was the experience like in there? How old were you then? When I went there, yeah. I was um, a little over 14, 14 and a half. And this was priests? Yeah, yeah. Were they abusing everybody there? Uh, no, no, they, they didn't. As far as I know, they didn't. But there was loads that they did, you know. There were folks would turn up and they'd choose you. You'd be playing because of like a quad in the middle of the place with an archway that got onto the yard, all the buildings all the way around it. You know, imagine a really old Victorian, like public school, basically, big arch that you went under to get to it. Folks would turn up in the big posh cars. Kids would be playing football, and Carragher and his mates would be sitting there, and they'd be choosing. Oh, I like that one. I like that one. And that was that. And then. Sometimes they'd get you at St. William's itself and have you there. Or other times, you'd be, they had a, a cottage on the North Yorkshire Moors mm -hmm. in the middle of nowhere, and they'd take you up there. But this, the cottage on the Yorkshire Moors was next to some cliffs, real steep ones. And the tale was there that if you didn't do as you were told, you got chucked off the cliffs. And again, there was a story to back it up that Carragher told everybody Oh, so-and-so, I threw him off the cliffs and he died. And there are other stories back at St. William's. There's a thing there called the departments, engineering department, painting department, building department, and farm. The builder's department had a big garage, big door garage, and it was full of sand. You know, they, they fill it full of sand, and the tale was that a couple of kids had gone in there and dug themselves like a cave into the sand, and it had collapsed on them and killed them both. Carragher's tale was that he used to tell everybody was I buried them in that sand and you can join them. See, and kids being kids at these places, the tale got passed on to each generation as new kids came into the place. To drill fear into the kids, to get yeah, them to do what they yeah, want, just yeah. basically grooming them from yeah. the get-go. Yeah. Did the drug use in there, St. Williams? No, no, there was, there was no use. It was just violence in St. Williams. Yeah. yeah. So after all that then, how did you manage to break free from St. Williams? Because one day, a social worker turned up and said, we're sorry to tell you, Steve, your dad's dead. Right, yeah. What do you want me to do about that? I didn't, you know, if if it if it had been there, I would have killed him anyway, because by that time I was a big, tough bloke and... Filled with hate. I wasn't scared of him at all anymore. Seemed far worse than him. But he died. And then a couple of days later, they turned up again, got me bag of stuff and very important, me, me records and stuff and me music that was really important to me at that point. Because up until being in St. William, Aston Hall, I'd, I'd never heard music. But one of the nurses there bought me a record player and he bought me three records with it. One was Hawkwind Road Hawks, which is part of the band that I'm in now. We're all ex-members of Hawkwind. Then he bought me um, Black Sabbath Volume 4. Oh, was he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and he bought me uh, an album called Suck It and See and, mm -hmm. and a, an album called Gun Race with the Devil. And they were the ones that set me off on my love of music because up until then I'd never heard music. Luckily, the bloke liked proper music and not... <laughs> Otherwise, I could have been into bloody Abba and all sorts, in which case I wouldn't have been sat here talking to you. But luckily, the man was into proper music, so there we go. Anyway, yeah, I packed my records up, packed my record player up that I'd still got from 
Mr. Bradbury Geen at me back at Aston Hall. They took me back to where I was from, from, well, back then, Ena it was. And they got me a flat at the back of a pet shop, which was the scariest place ever. Mm -hmm. I don't, have you ever slept behind it, had a flat in a pet shop back in the 70s? Because back in the 70s, you could keep every animal known to man. And the pet shops, were all you could hear all night were parrots squeaking and animals squawking and dogs mm -hmm. barking and shit mm -hmm. like that. It was like being a haunted yeah. house. <laughs> <laughs> you slept in Elm Street with fucking people screaming and getting yeah, thoughts yeah. about the noises of dogs it, and it, animals it, it just freaking out. to things scampering around and squealing all night. Uh, yeah, I tell you. Uh -huh. <laughs> so obviously your trust issues and... Everything must have been shot to fuck yeah. to get to then and then having your freedom. How did you? How was your mindset then? Did you ever feel like, feel like quitting or giving up? Or did you feel? I, I never felt like giving up. Never ever, never ever entered my mind. They got me in the flat. The social workers had got me a job at a place called Smith's Flour Mill at Langley Mill, which was a great big flour mill. And I spent about two years there, rumping around great big sacks of flour. Um, started drinking, started with drugs. And I spent 10 years being not a very nice person. And then I thought, I can't keep doing this. My son was born, so I stopped doing it. And I decided I got to change and, and be a nice person rather than be an angry person. Because uh -huh. I'd been angry for a, like 10 years. I was as angry as fuck. And all I did was drink, fight, fuck. Yeah. And, Just a mask. And, and stuff, you know? But I think that's, I think anybody would give you a free pass for that, Stephen, because what you went through, there's no words to describe what you went through, so you're going to be angry, you're going to be hating the world and why me? Oh, yeah, But yeah. not realising that some people need to go to the darkest places to eventually mm. find the light and then now you've got the light you can help, help guide others out of darkness. Well, that's, that's the whole so reason of doing all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, kind of, and it's... Yeah. If some, other blokes look at me and think, well, if he can come forward, then everybody else can. Yeah. Do you ever speak to anybody from back in the day, Ashton House or St. Williams, no. Ashton Hall? No? No. No. I've had a couple... Since I did the book, I've had a couple of messages off some lads from St. Williams saying that they don't want to come forward, but thanks for bringing mm -hmm. it out and keeping the fight going. Yeah, and we've now got a lawyer back on the case who's willing to take all these Ast St Williams cases back yeah. on because it was, a, it was an independent report in 2018 found nearly 100 kids were drugged, stripped and abused and that was all. only yeah, that's just two years ago the surface, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it just shows you how long that's been open for how long? 60 years, 70 years? yeah yeah, yeah. Aston Hall was, mm -hmm. was there for many, many, many yeah. years and Milner ran it. Not only that, he worked at other psychiatric hospitals as well. Yeah. And there are other psychiatrists doing just as bad tests and things on kids at other psych hospitals. Mm -hmm. But Milner used to say to us that we were mental, mental deficients, weren't it? Mental defectives. Mm -hmm. And therefore we were his property and at his disposal was his, his argument. Cheeky bastard. And he was testing these drugs now because they wanted to find the perfect truth serum. That's what he was looking for. Sodium amatol was the one, an ether. And that's what Milner was looking for. He, he's, he dedicated his entire life to using different drugs on kids. You know, I mean, I, 
I've read reports that say that he used LSD on us as well and stuff like that. Well, having taken LSD, I can well believe it because it reminds me <laughs> being back then. So I, I know exactly. I can compare the two things together and, and yeah. know exactly what it was he was doing. So was he just drugging kids to abuse them or was he actually, what was he searching for anything? Well, it, was it, just, was, it was proper proper researching into looking for a true serum for the government and, and people. And when you speak to Barbara later on, yeah. she'll, she's going to bring you some paperwork. I've seen the paperwork that she's got. Mm -hmm. and Barbara's like tenacious as a, a, yeah. as a mad rat. Mm -hmm. You know, she, she'll not let anything lie. Mm -hmm. And she's dug up all this stuff. And it shows the connection between Milner, the American CIA, um, a thing called MK Ultra, and all these other secret government department stuff where he was testing drugs and sending them reports. So they got the perfect truth serum to use on enemy combatants was the term. Yeah. So they're picking innocent kids, people who are vulnerable, people who are causing trouble or... Yeah kept in the cellar and people yeah. think oh they're yeah. crazy so if yeah. they do run away or speak out no one's gonna believe nobody's going to believe yeah. them well the social workers the police everybody used to tell them tell them and tell them till you were blue in the face and not one of them gave a shit yeah. you know they could, you could tell they, they, they knew and I, I swear to god they all knew but they, they didn't care because mm -hmm. whatever I authority or power over them had told them that certain people at certain places you don't take any notice of them when did you start opening up about this when did you start saying i need to speak to someone or just speak out because a lot of people bottle about, all this up and blame themselves probably about 15 20 years ago yeah 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 and i mean i had to tell my wife gail i had to because I, I have nightmares real real bad nightmares i wake up screaming and she's had to chase me up the street naked because while I'm asleep, trying to get me back into the house, and she's had to stop me smashing windows and climbing out of bedrooms and pulling the furniture apart, and you're in all sorts. Fair play for standing by and being honest. I had to, because my first wife, Lorraine, I'd never told, she knew I had nightmares, obviously, but I never told her why. And we weren't together very long in the end anyway. <coughs> so later on, I thought, well, I'm going to have to tell her because it must be driving her mad every night, me waking up screaming and smashing off stuff and, mm -hmm. and what have you. And I've got, even after we got together, I've got, I've got no tolerance for people talking down to me. I've got no tolerance for people in authority. But if anyone does anything that really pisses me off, then again, I've got no sense of what I shouldn't do to them. I mean, one night we were in and this bloke had a pop at me for something, didn't he? And I picked him up and threw him over a pool table. <laughs> Got him by arse of his jeans. And as he went, the arse of his jeans ripped right the way down. And he shot out of his jeans like a fucking cannon. And the following day, he came up to me in here and he got a letter. Mm -hmm. And he signed it, and it was a bill for his new jeans. <laughs> <laughs> Some people would pay fortunes for ripped jeans now. <laughs> so that must have been for to open up to Gail. Then that must you must have knew right. Okay, if I can open up to her, then there's a trust. Yeah, the trust is there to yeah. not open up to anyone. Then it's trust issues, no. isn't it? So yeah, 
and f- obviously it must have been difficult for Gail because she must have been thinking he's a fucking nutcase oh, she, she was <laughs> he is a nutcase but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so and then I went off and I thought well, I'm gonna and at the time I got a particularly good doctor and I told him some of it and he got me in to see this shrink woman who, I mean, I'm dead wary of shrinks anyway. Yeah. I mean, the first time I had to go and see this godsy fella who's like one of the top shrinks in the country, does mass murderers and, and folks. I had to go and see him. And he came out and shook her hand and told, what does he say to you? I'm, I'm a remarkable man. And you should be dead. And I should have been dead years ago and he doesn't understand why I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. That's, I don't know if that's a compliment. No, 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 yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> but... He explained to her, and the other shrinks, I always make them explain to her what's wrong with me. Because A, because I don't take it seriously. I mean, my first words to Godsy were, look, I've got to come and talk to you because the lawyers have told me. I says, but I, I want to tell you now that I won't trust you because a mad psychiatrist once experimented on me and tried to kill me. Mm-hmm. And then I had to explain to him. And then he knew all about Aston Hall anyway. Because it's like required learning now among shrinks of what Milner was doing to us. Yeah. It's scary that those people in high powers can get away with such violent and dirty crimes that... Yeah. And the scary thing is it's happening now it's, and it's even that, more somewhere, so. Somewhere around now, it's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Right now in England. In more than one place, I would imagine. Yeah. Because it's um, a lot more people are speaking out about it because mm. the mainstream media haven't really got as much power as they did to yeah. brainwash people and feed people what they wanted. Yeah. A lot of people now have the freedom of speaking out and bringing hope and inspiration to other people like yourself. Yeah. So that 10-year period, Stephen, when you were free and you were out and you were angry and full of drugs and drink, you says when your first son was born is what? changed your mindset and going wait a minute yeah. I've got some yeah. I've got a life here I, I thought can't keep doing what I'm doing otherwise I'm never going to get to see my kids grow up and that's what I did I, I just said I've done with it all done and I concentrated then on my painting my music and all the other stuff I used to do you mm-hmm. know work and all the rest of it and I had to stop and, and look after my kids. Because obviously the stuff that you went through, you'd have had to realise, okay, if I'm not there for my son, potentially yeah. that could happen also. Yeah. Do you sell your art or anything? Can we put links for people to look at it or buy it? If... The best place to find it is to go on my Facebook page. Okay, what's the name of your Facebook page? It's just Stephen Smith. And you'll see, there's a photo of me and her on it, so you can't miss it. yeah. And I just, because I've, I've got this ro- one rule about my art, I've stuck to all my life, much to her annoyance. <laughs> no matter what I paint, or I, I do book covers, video sleeves, you name it, I've, I've painted thousands of bloody things. Everything that moves, I've painted it. I never, ever charge more than, say, say it's taken me a day to do a painting, right? Then I, for that painting, I'll charge 40 quid. And I never changed that. And I've had art galleries after me. Art galleries hate me. They send me loads of requests, don't they? Why don't you put some of your paintings in our gallery? And I say, well, why? Because we can sell them for you. So, well, it's not a gallery then, is it? It's a shop. Call it a gallery if you want. Mm -hmm. But if you've got a price ticket on it, then it's a shop. So I refuse to have anything to do with people that do that. Uh, I'd sooner sell a painting for a few quid 
knowing that it's going to hang on someone's wall because they love it and they want it, than ever put one in an art gallery. And and that's what yeah. I do. Do you think the painting saved your life? Oh, yeah, yeah. Painting and music, definitely. Therapy for you? Yeah. Do you remember the first time you started drawing or painting? Uh, always. Yeah. It, it, that's, that, that's what I did in my cellar. Mm. That's all I could do. Yeah. Just yeah. art. Just kept mm. you going and just yeah. visualising that you were outside. Yeah. Just believing that yeah. one day you would be out. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, a lot of the stuff that was outside, I didn't, I didn't know existed. Because it's hard to draw a tree if you don't know what a tree is. Because mm -hmm. you don't know the name of it. You don't even know it's green. I mean, it's, it's just a thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not... When you learn stuff as you get older and realise that that is a thing is a thing. But for me, it took a lot longer to learn that a thing was that thing. Yeah. Because I didn't know the name of it. And I didn't know what mm -hmm. it was. How did you learn how to read and write? My dad taught me. So he taught you that oh, as well? Oh, he used to turn up with books. Mm -hmm. You know, like school, old school writing books that you yeah. see? He'd come down, he'd have written like a page on one side, and I'd have to copy it like dozens and dozens of times and be able to read it and rewrite it and what have you. And if I got it wrong, then I get a good idea. And mm -hmm. it was the same with maths and, and whatever. whatever the subject just, was. Everything, just getting a hiding for certain yeah. things. So how do you... Is there anything now in life that triggers you and brings back a lot of emotion, memory for you that you can maybe put you in a downer or certain noises? So there's certain smells I can't mm. have near me. You know, um, fishermen's friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can't yeah. have them anywhere near me because they mm. they taste and smell exactly like the ether that me only used to put on your face. Mm -hmm. They remind me of that no end. Um, can't be doing with anybody giving me orders or ordering me about or talking down to me or anything mm. like that. I just that completely is no sure. no yeah yeah and what else have I got that annoys me <laughs> that sets me off I think we should get you a seat for this one Gail uh, uh, cook, uh, cooking <laughs> oh yeah yeah I can't yeah. have anything near me face that's why I've always mm -hmm. had a beard can't mm -hmm. have anything on my face uh -huh. yeah because once at the hospital I had an asthma attack once and I was in the hospital weren't I and it took 10 nurses and doctors and her and my daughter screaming at the side of me to hold me down while I was throwing them all around and it was only because he wants to put a mask on my face. Uh -huh. So, yeah, obviously, but that's that's natural, though, that you wouldn't well, want that shit we've, happening. We've got a, a, a thing now at the hospital on my medical records that says that they've got to, and I always get my own room now, don't I? And I get taken straight to my own room and she's allowed <laughs> to stay with me. <laughs> and nurses only come in if there's two of them and, you know, stuff yeah. like that. But, mm. you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's just nothing I can do about it. It's just in there. How was that, like, speaking about it, how was it writing a book? Did that bring back a lot of emotion for you, a lot of misery and pain, or did that yeah. make you feel good to get it off your chest? It made me good to feel, get it off my chest, but it made me, for a while I felt really angry that half the, well, I say half of them, two-thirds of the folks in there are dead. Because I'd still, you know what I mean, put me in a room with Carragher and I'd still like to throttle him, even though he is 80, yeah. eight years old or whatever the hell he is now. You but know. for him to, because he got sentenced, I was reading it um, over the last few days, he got, he already did like 14 years and then yeah, and it's the, three the, times the, he's been yeah, in. Yeah, the, then the, the coppers find some more cases and they take him back to court and he gets found guilty, gets sent back to prison. Mm. But there's loads of us. I mean, I've never, ever, ever had a copper come up to me and ask me to write a statement about what happened to me at St. Williams. And there's loads of us that haven't. The only statements I've ever written have been for the lawyers. Mm-hmm. 
and he's never been tried for what he did to me or loads of other lads they just took a few cases each time he's ready to come out you have another crown court day and he goes in there and then they put him back in prison so he's never he's going to rot in hell basically well I yeah hope he's so, going yeah. to rot in there yeah. because if he ever does get out then there's more cases still there yeah but that's a good idea not to try them all at once because then it would only be one sentence yeah so, yeah. but in his eighties anyway, so he deserves yeah. everything he fucking gets. Oh yeah, his never coming out there. So the book, again, when you're writing that, that's the most vulnerable you could possibly be is bearing everything onto yeah. something that you know everybody else is going to read. Oh, it's, it's I've not allowed my sons to read it ever. Three, my three sons and my daughter, they wants to read it. Mm-hmm. And my youngest son, New Year's Eve, we were in the pub, weren't we? Because all, all, all my family, we all go out together. Me and my sons, you know, we've, we really are proper close family. Good. And we were out New Year's Eve, and our Jake, my youngest, he was crying. And he'd only read, like, the first half dozen pages, hadn't he? And I had to put my foot down and say, look, I know you know what's in there, but there's, no, it, there's nothing good going to come out of them reading about what happened to the dad. I mean, middle lad, he just gets angry and he wants to go find him. But like I said to him, they're all old men or they're dead now. So yeah. there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. So that took a lot of me thinking about because I knew what effect it would have on me kids. Yeah. And I know what my mates are like because they, those my mates, they didn't know about any of this. Yeah. They knew some of it, some of them did, but not all of them. And I was sort of worried what their reaction was going to yeah. be. Yeah. about all this stuff that happened to me. It's a fucking brave thing to but, do, but Stephen. But so far, so far, I haven't had one negative comment off anybody ever. Not, oh, not, and, a, not one. And rightly you know, so, it's, it's all been really yeah. good. And rightly so. Which is sort of surprising, really. Yeah. How did Gail deal with it when you first talk, spoke to her about it? She just got used to the idea, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing yeah. you can do, though, she, is she, there? Well, because she Did was always... Did it make always... sense, though, that wherever no. the madness came from? Once, once everything sort of became... Because it, it's a, such a fantastic story that it was almost like, yeah, all right, then. Mm-hmm. It's just him. Yeah. Once you've spoken to the shrinks, you see, and because mm-hmm. I always made a point of, the, of her talking to the shrinks, mm-hmm. Because I ain't got a lot of trouble with what shrinks tell you, you know. It's all, oh, I'm being very mindful about this and very mindful <laughs> about that. And, you know, whilst tapping you on the back of the hand with a pen, because tapping you on the back of the hand with a pen is going to fucking kill you. You know, it's, it's half of what shrinks tell you is bullshit. The best people for folks like me to talk to are folks like me, fuckers that have been there. Mm-hmm. You know, all this psychiatric bollocks mumbo jumbo it's crap let them come down talk to me go on the piss with me for a night have a laugh and then listen to me tell them what they should be doing with their lives and how, and, and how you don't have to be a fucking slave to what people did to you mm-hmm. when you were a kid when you were a kid you've got no response you, you can't stop what's going to happen to you you've got no say in it you know that they're going to rag you out they're going to fuck you they're going to do whatever they fucking want to you fucking Decide, make make a decision. Say it, I'm not going to go down that road that I went down with them fuckers. I'm going to stand up for myself. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what blokes like me, you yeah. need to come forward and fucking say it. Yeah, I think a lot of people, though, 
they're scared because like we spoke earlier I think a lot of people and it's scary to think that they blame themselves they question well, it was yeah. I on the right was I on the wrong yeah. so for anybody that's gone maybe through this listen yeah. to Stephen's story read his book and you, you can find the inspiration yeah. to come forward and yeah. expose people what, whatever happened to you when you're young you've got no fucking choice in it you know no, there's nothing you can do short of killing yourself mm. which is just means they've won and it's like if I was in any way any way bar me now or, or screwed up by what they did to me then Carriger sat in his cell has got another victory over me even from all them years ago he's got yet another victory mm -hmm. and I'm not going to give him that and Milner in hell or wherever he is looking down if I let it think that he's affected me for all my life and screwed me up then he's got another victory and I'm not they had their victories up until I was 17 mm -hmm. no more your band, you're in a successful band, you travel all over. I do. With the music, like you spoke earlier, yeah. it's, it's potentially saved your life as well as yeah. the art. Yeah. How did your band come about? Oh, I've always had a love of music and stuff, right from Aston Hall when, mm -hmm. when I got given these records. And I thought, one day I'm going to be in Orkwin. That was my favourite band. I've, I know, I've known Orkwin all my life, obviously, well, since then. And now... I've played we pretty much every ex-member at Orwin and in my band now there's Dead Fred who was in Orwin for years and those other folks come and guess we as who were in Orwin for years. So I've done that dream that I had back then. I, I've done it. I've done it. It's amazing that you, you have done it to grow the confidence as well to be standing on stages and singing in front of people because there's people who have been brought up in a great life who shit themselves to go on stage. Oh, I've seen some really famous people backstage <laughs> throwing up, haven't we? And like that, gibbering wrecks. I just march straight on and get on with it. I don't get a wank. I once, at a festival, it, it was getting boring once and famous. It's the first time and only time I've ever done this. There was a woman, big woman she was, Scottish, strangely enough. Mm. And she, she's got a room... A wagon full of women's clothes. So I went and got dressed as a woman. This, this, I've got shitloads of photos. I put a tutu on, a basque, stuff, dustbin bags down. It still got my other hat on and uh, these great big boots. And none of the band knew I was going to do it. And there was a, a door led you onto the stage, and there's all these people all waiting there. And I was only going on to do two songs with them. The rest of the band are playing away, and it was, um, we were doing, I just want to be your dog by the Stooges. Mm -hmm. I marched onto the stage dressed as this woman, got the microphone and started singing. <laughs> the rest of the band shit themselves, <laughs> didn't, didn't know what they were doing. And the audience went absolutely wild, didn't mm -hmm. they? And to this day, I still get messages. Every time we go and play a new festival, people say, are you going to do your woman thing? Because <laughs> uh, I, I, made, I made such an attractive woman. I think it was the beard that did it. <laughs> Yeah, so no, I've, I've got no... Yeah, no fear? Yeah, I, 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 it's almost impossible to embarrass yeah. me, you know. I, I, mm -hmm. Which is a powerful thing then, because you've used everything to your advantage. Oh, yeah. Which is a tough thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. So going forward for the future with you, Stephen, everything you went through, listen, you're a great guy, man, you're funny, you're clearly a fucking nutcase, <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to be Absolutely honest. You know what I mean? Stark uh, staring yeah. mad, but there but you go. For everything you've went through into releasing the book... What other things you got in the pipeline, Stephen? I've got, well, as it happens, while I'm in here talking to you right now, the rest of my band are in the recording studio recording our new CD album mm. for this year. I'm supposed to be there singing it. 
on the grounds I wrote the songs. <laughs> but I've had to come here and do this for you. So now they've had to book an extra fucking day in the recording studio <laughs> for three hundred pounds. Uh, I'll make sure I, pr- I promote all your songs. Where so, can people get your music or watch your music? Uh, um, we've got our own Facebook page, Captain Starfighter and the Lockheeds. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, you can find us on there. Easy, easy peasy. Uh-huh. But we play all over the place, one festival after another, and, uh-huh. and stuff. You enjoying it then? Your passion? Oh, it's brilliant! I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Any talks of maybe turning us into a film? Supposedly, there's some guy from foreign parts, America, that, that's a. Um, um, no, she's saying nothing. Uh, uh, she's saying nothing. Uh, 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 what is he? Screenwriter. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's taking an interest in it, but I don't know how all that yeah. works, so I, I don't get yeah. involved. That's her department over there. It's weird, though, because the boy in the cellar and reading that, I don't know why, but I think of America when I read this. It's like, you don't really hear this in the UK, mm. you think Well, one of America. the questions someone asked me, they were on about someone in um, Belgium or Germany or somewhere. So yeah, yeah that that kept that kept members of his family. Yeah, in the cellar so I for think years. there was a few of them. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I usually, I've never really, I've never, in fact, I've never read anything like this yeah. from the UK. So it's been eventful, brother. You're a great guy, and it's been an honour to sit here and, and share your story with me because I know you're a busy man now. F- just to finish up. Have you got any advice for anybody who's maybe going through the struggle herself, maybe getting abused and are confused? Any advice you would have for them? Tell people about it. Tell the people you love about it. And don't hide it. Come out and, and stand there and say, fuck you lot, you're not screwing mm-hmm. me up forever. That, that's, that's the thing people need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brilliant, Stephen. Listen, you're an inspiration. It's been an honour to meet you, brother. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And, God bless. We'll put all the links in the description for the book, Stephen's music, Facebook pages. So get involved, man, and get the book, definitely, because it's a powerful read. So thank you again, brother. Thank you. You can also watch my podcast on my YouTube channel. The link is in the bio if you'd like to subscribe. You can follow me on my social media platforms to see who my next guest is. Follow me on Facebook at James English 11, Twitter, James English 0, Instagram, James English 2. You can also download these podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Sports Social Podcast Network.